0: Hello!
1: I'm Kelly Harlow And I'm Sasha Kelly, and you're listening to That Classical Podcast.
0: And Kelly, tell us what we're going to talk about today. Welcome, everybody. Uh, so today, well, I thought, because Sasha and I are now two trailblazing young women trying to shake up the world of classical music, um, we would talk about the women who did shake up the world of classical music. We're going to talk about really wonderful women composers today. And I think I'm going to start with... Amy Beach. Oh my god, I love Amy Beach. So, I know nothing about her, okay, but I'm really, really excited. <laughs> that really bodes well for me. So we're gonna try something a little different today. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who've listened before, you may know we do kind of 60 second biographies and things like that. But Today, we're going to try Two Truths and a Lie. does what it says on the tin, really, Mm -hmm. pretty self-explanatory. But, Sasha, you're going to try and tell me which one of these facts you do not believe is true. (sighs) Okay. She could sing 40 songs by the age of one. Ooh. Okay. okay. She composed her first piece, aged five, without using a piano. And finally, in 1892, she had the 19th century equivalent of a public Twitter spat with Dvorak. (laughs)
1: oh do you want me to repeat any of them
0: are you good i'm
1: gonna say yeah, go i'm on. just gonna go with my gut yeah i know nothing about children oh okay but i suspect <laughs> that singing 40 songs at the age of one is kind of weird okay is so i go, <laughs> you know gonna
0: mean my, oh my God. untruth is that the okay. right okay um no but i'll take it um It's actually true. She could sing 40 songs by the age of one. Okay, so this is what the internet tells me. And I'm not joking. 40 songs by the age of one, which is kind of weird. And not only that, but apparently by the age of two, she was harmonizing with her mum when her mum sang her lullabies, which is just annoying, (laughs) to be honest. It's just like, sleep, (laughs) go to sleep, stop singing. Uh, But yeah, so that was true. So she could sing 40 songs by the age of one. The lie was that she composed her first piece, aged five, without using a piano. Because she composed it aged four. Oh, oh, that's just me. You so tricky. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, my favorite one is this, like, public... I said, like, the equivalent of a Twitter spat because it was in the newspaper mm-hmm. in 1892. So if you guys remember, Dvorak was a really famous composer mm-hmm. uh, from that time. And after arriving in the States, Dvorak was quoted in a Boston newspaper saying, Hear all the ladies' play it is well it is nice but i'm afraid the ladies cannot help us much they have not the creative power Ooh. so this was in a newspaper Them fighting words yeah basically saying okay. that like women were performers and like that's that's very well that's nice but their teeny tiny women's brains can't handle composition which really takes a few brownie points away from dvorak in in my view yeah so then 10 days later amy beach who was up and coming at that time Mm. basically just totally schooled him and she wrote this from the year 1675 to the year 1885 women have composed 153 works including 55 serious operas 6 cantatas blah 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 blah," and just like went off on one and uh there was never a response from Dvorak but of course there wasn't I reckon he was just horribly embarrassed and I hope he was anyway I
1: hope he was horribly embarrassed but also I'm liking where this is going because this is going to be a (laughs) common theme today of just like men writing like Horrible really horrible things, things in public <laughs> newspapers. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I'll let we'll, you keep going. We'll
0: absolutely get there. But yeah, so... The summary of this is that Amy was this child prodigy who could sing 40 songs by the age of one. Uh, And she was determined to perform and compose music as this kind of well-bred American woman, which was just so rare for the time. And even her family tried to stop her. So when she was kind of messing around on the piano as a little girl, her mum would drag her away and say like, well-bred girls, don't do that. Stop it, it's too loud. And um, Amy would you know, for lack of a better term, just like have a little sulk about it and, you know, mm. be really sad. And I think her parents did eventually come round. I, I mean, we've all done that. We've all we been there, we, yeah. I've definitely <laughs> you know, done the bottom lip treatment a few times. Or mm. thrown a complete fit in Asda, you know, exactly. with your mum. But so she did start taking piano lessons and she did start learning music and had a re- like super minimal amount of training in composition, like counterpoint. Which is when like the yeah. way two notes work in relation to each right, other. Exactly. Okay. So she had just like a couple of lessons doing that, but mainly she totally taught herself. She memorized books, like tons of books and she would dissect all these scores and learn them by heart and then go to concerts and go like mm-hmm. Yes, like, <laughs> listening to you know, what was happening. I mean, well done, Amy Beach, yeah. and I love her music. But uh, that those kind of stories always really depress me. I know because like we can't do that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I've just read Harry Potter four times. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't um, do and watched it to be honest. <laughs> um, but so she was perform like she did start performing. Her parents were pretty agreed that she was quite amazing, and then she got married to a guy called Henry, uh, and he was a surgeon. 24 years her senior. I'll just leave that there. She was 18, by the way, so it was a bit weird. Uh, But there was uh, quite a few conditions of their marriage. And the main one was that she would live, quote, according to his status, which meant that she had to limit her recitals to two a year Donate all the profits to charity and loads of other weird points like she could never teach piano because apparently that was associated with young women getting pin money and things like that. I I can't like (laughs) the microphone doesn't pick up my facial expressions (laughs) right now. I see a scowl. (laughs) I'm just not happy with this turn of events. Right. And then this weird thing that he kept saying to her when she... It was like, I want to be taught composition. I'm going to get lessons. Her husband just said no, because then, Amy, that would ruin your individuality. So you can't do that. But and then funnily enough, when her husband died in 1910, she was like, oh, oh, no. Well, better get back to performing and doing everything I love. Uh, So anyway, regardless of all of this, she still totally smashed it. And she considered herself to be a pioneer. And she was like orchestras were playing pieces by women for the first time. They were her pieces and in 1896 she composed her gaelic symphony which was the first symphony written and published by an american woman how amazing is that uh, and it was really well received although of course every critic was like a woman a woman wrote this with that teeny tiny woman's brain and a Astonishing... teeny tiny woman's hands <laughs> yes. And like, uh, yeah, but you know what? It didn't matter. As the years went on, people kept demanding her sheet music. Her publisher couldn't keep up with all the demand. She made mad cash. She bought a lovely big house. And she, she it. She really smashed it. Like she wrote piano concertos and opera, orchestral works, 150 songs, a mass, chamber music, and some really lovely pieces for solo piano. So quick story, quick story about Amy Beach and how I discovered her. So i a few years ago i was kind of looking for lady composer inspiration and i found this really lovely album by amy beach and i was listening through to it it was all sort of piano tunes and yeah listening through and thought this one piece was really lovely and i looked at the title and i'm sorry in advance for this i looked at the title and the title said young bitches And I was like, "Oh, mm, I is what did she mean by that? Like, is there a was, Yeah, I was like, is she watching like young female dogs? Yeah, yeah, is it about fleeting youth? Like, going on about this poetic kind of nature? And because I checked the album around the internet and made sure it wasn't just a mistake on the like streaming platform I was mm-hmm. using, oh, it wasn't le Bichet. right, right, really like- le Bichet. and um, it wasn't a mistake like, on the album everywhere on the internet. It was young Pictures. And I was like, well, maybe naming things wasn't Amy's strong point. Like, this is fine. And then I caught it, like, on another album and discovered that it was, in fact, young birches <laughs> like the tree, <laughs> which makes way more sense. So, you know what? <sighs> Whatever it's about, it's really great. It wasn't like a burn book decision no, <laughs> about people she hated. I mean, you can make your own mind up. Let's, okay. let's take a listen.
1: Before you say anything, Kelly, I've got two things to say. (laughs) A, yes, it is called Young Bitches. I saw it on Spotify. You did not make that up. I really didn't. And also, um, uh, it really reminds me of Pocahontas. What? Oh my! Like
0: Colors of the Wind, but in a good way. So. Yes, it does. And maybe she was the inspiration. Uh, I, mean, I'm, I mean, I'm really saying that in that, like, sometimes when I'm listening to stuff, I like thinking of other that's things. so true, with, like, the thirds. Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally hear that. But I mean... But I love it. What a beautiful... like, it, so pretty. It sounds like Debussy or Ravel. Like, it, it, like, really reminds me of that kind of piano music. Um, mm. And, yeah, I just thought it was, like, a standout piece and just absolutely beautiful. And... Yeah. You know what? Amy Beach, just an all around legend. She used her status as like one of the top women American composers to stick up for young musicians of all genders, actually. And she was on panels. She was on boards. She was coaching composers and students giving inspirational speeches all over the shop. But yeah, that that's Amy Beach. I highly, highly recommend you listen to more of her works for piano because they are really, really beautiful. But also her symphony, her symphonies are wonderful and yeah please go and explore
1: so i've chosen a musical superwoman today kelly and i'm i'm really excited to talk about her um she's an individual that once you hear about her she's going to start popping up everywhere in like textbooks she just peers up all the time and (laughs) out of character i'm going to make a grandiose and outlandish (laughs) statement based purely on my own opinion that is out of character (laughs) I think she pretty much single handedly changed the course of music history in the last hundred years.
0: Wow, okay. So I hear you thinking, who is who this? Who is this? Yeah. <laughs> her name is Nadia Boulanger. Yes, okay, amazing. Um, have you heard of her? I've heard of her, but I know nothing about her either, so okay, like, great. I'm super excited about it. So
1: Nadia Juliette Boulanger was born in Paris on the 16th of September, 1887. She was born into a musical family. Great. Her grandfather was an organist, her Love grandmother that. was a singer, her dad, Ernest Boulanger was a composer and a conductor and a singing professor. Got it. And her mom, a woman called Raisa Michetsky. Great name. Yeah. She's also a bit of a wild card. Raisa. And as a fellow immigrant, I like her attitude. Ooh. She just rocked up in France and was like, in the late 1870s, gave no details and was like, I'm a princess I like expensive things. And everyone okay. just kind of took her word for it. And no one was like, what what, proof no, what do you have? She just like would tell people she was a Russian princess. you were joking. But like, think about like late 1800s, okay. Paris, Russia. Yeah. Like there were a lot of random a princesses. A mysteries happening. Just yeah. turning up. Um, so she started <laughs> learning singing at the Paris Conservatoire off. A Mr. Ernest Boulanger who was 43 years older than her. This is
0: such a theme.
1: It is a a recurring theme. That is crazy. We know. Yes. And so here we are in 1887. Um, They're married. Ernest has just turned 72 oh my God. and a little Nadia comes into the world. So music was a family business with a capital B. And to give you some context, Ernest had won this big prize that you might have heard of because quite a few composers in the last century, it was like their big break. Okay. Um, the Prix de Rome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. So I'm just going to call that like the Paris X Factor. It, it is pretty much. Because that's pretty much what it was. A, like a Parisian Simon Cowell. Exactly. Trousers around his neck.
0: Just exactly. like loving someone, it.
1: Yeah. Um, so someone wins every year. All the papers cared about it. Everyone went a little insane trying to win it. Love it. Um, and also dad, like Ernest was friends with some pretty <laughs> handy musos who just come around for tea and hang out nice. um charles Gounod and gabrielle foray oh so no. they were like family <laughs> friends oh, that's ridiculous yeah so okay. nadia like grew up and at first she was like i hate music and there's all these random Ooh. stories of her screaming and hiding and like having massive tantrums whenever people came around to play oh so like can you imagine like foray coming around to hang out and then being like Rah. but <laughs> Come um, on, but no <laughs> It's like a high-class, like, tantrum. But then at the age of five, for some bizarre reason, she was like, I like this music thing, let me at it. And she started taking it pretty seriously. Mm -hmm. And Risa, in particular, her mum, was really pushy and was like, she's going to be amazing. Tiger mum. Yeah. And so then when (laughs) Nadi was six... A little sister was born called Marie Juliette Olga, but everyone knew her as Lily. Mm-hmm. And she was born um, in 1893. So if this was a movie, this is when the montage scene happens. It's right. like Love a few that. years past. It's rocky. Yeah, but with music. exactly. Everyone's yeah. carrying on. Um, and in 1896, Nadia is nine and she takes uh, examinations to go to the Paris Conservatoire and life continues. But then in 1900, Tragedy strikes right. and Ernest dies. I mean, so oh, we all no, kind of saw Ernest. that coming a little bit. Oh, okay. And because her mom was like, where are my diamonds? Because <laughs> right. I'm a princess. <laughs> oh yeah, The family standard of living was like really extravagant. And oh, the royalties no. from her dad's compositions was all they had to live off. Okay. So Nadia, like... Comes up with this plan to support the whole family. And she says, I'm going to study really, really, really hard mm-hmm. and I'm going to become the best musician ever. And then I'll earn enough money to look after everyone. Great. And I think it's really important to note that she was genuinely, really, really talented. Okay. So in 1903, Fourier was like, You are so good at the organ. You should come become at my. At the organ? Yeah. Oh, wow. She just was great at everything. That's he awesome. was like, You're going to come become my assistant at church. And then in 1904, she took first place in three areas of study, organ, piano, accompaniment, and fugue oh, cool. um, at the Paris Conservatoire. And Do you want to tell us what fugue is? Yeah, that's like, they're really tricky compositions where you have like <laughs> <Yeah>. one idea <laughs> and then you're somehow supposed to like hold on to that idea and do mm. it all the time and okay you know I was gonna say I'm not the golden standard of doing anything <laughs> but they're really hard and I've tried <laughs> yeah they are really and I failed job. miserably so I'm sure you didn't mm, good on you Nadia <laughs> um and so then in 1904 based off the back of this reputation she started this afternoon group class on a Wednesday afternoon okay where she would go through analysis and do sight singing and just have all these people around for tea and like do music things. That oh, sounds great. Yeah, and she pretty much <laughs> kept those up until yeah. she died. So, like, they start in 1904 and then yeah, they continue forevermore. Amen. Mm. So, I think we should listen to something by Nadia Dow because mm. I want you to hear it before we hear the rest of her story. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of the movements. It's the first movement from her three pieces for cello and piano. Mm-hmm. It was originally written for organ, but I'm going to... Put my
0: <laughs> my
1: organ negative bias on the table we and actually, say I would
0: like to hear it on the cello. Do you know what? Like we should do that classical podcast episode about the organ. But I think like Chris and I avoided it for three years. Oh, so God. it's like it's probably going to come a weird through. instruments. But the people who play them are lovely.
1: They just are. Just in case you're yeah. listening. Um, yeah. So this is definitely intentional. So this is the first movement of her three pieces for cello and piano. So what do you think, Kelly? I really like that.
0: That's that's very much up my strasser, down my strasser, round <laughs> it, just in it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. I've never heard that piece before by Nadia.
1: I know. I, it's one of those pieces that like you... I've never come across it, but Mm. now, like, Googling and stuff, you see it on programs occasionally. So, it's kind of put in as an afterthought or, like, a a piece to fill out the program. Okay. A (laughs) fill-a-piece. Sorry. A very nice. (laughs) Yeah. A very nice and attractive piece that belongs on programs. Sorry, that was a bit of work. No, I was living on there for a second. Loved it. Okay. So, you remember the Prix de Rome, the X Factor of Paris. Mm Mm-hmm. When Nadia was still studying, she became obsessed with winning it. Okay. Because no woman had ever won and she really wanted to be like her dad. Her dad had won it and it was like this point of pride. Love it. And so... She was like, I'm going to be in the history books. I'm going to be the first woman to ever do this. Mm-hmm. So it, she enters in 1906, doesn't get anywhere. She enters in 1907 and she gets to the finals but didn't place. Oh, and then her teacher, Charles Marie Vidor, Great name. Um, oh, yeah, Charles Vido. Yeah, Charles Vido. Organ man. He turns up. Oh, my days. Yeah, and he's <laughs> her teacher and he's like, look, your music was pretty good. And he actually thinks hers was the best. But the finals worked that the composer had to, like, organise their own performance, mm-hmm. and apparently hers weren't as good as the person who won, and so, like, her performance suffered. So she's what? like, right, I've learned from this. I'm going to enter wasn't, again.
0: wasn't the competition about composition?
1: Yeah, but, like, That's nah. so stupid. It's a weird, weird Charles. place. So Q cue- <laughs> 1908, which yeah. I'm subtitling The Year of Drama. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. So basically how the competition worked is that a famous composer would write a little motif, mm-hmm. like a little idea, yeah. and then the composers who wanted to enter would have to take that and write for the nominated instrumentation. Mm-hmm. And so this year it was Saint-Saëns yeah. who wrote it, and then he was like, youngsters, write a choral fugue. Okay, and Nadia... <laughs> Was like, nah, I want to write a string quartet. (laughs) And so she entered with the string quartet, and all the jurors who voted gave her the highest mark. But Saint-Saëns was so angry. Oh, my God. He was like, who is this? (laughs) (laughs) young face. And there was this big standoff, and apparently he was already a family frenemy. I can't find out why. (laughs) Okay. Something was like, okay. oh, the Boulangers hated Saint Sans. So there was already what? like beef there. Okay. And then they had a standoff. And when I say standoff, it was actually huge. The French, like the international papers, wrote about it. And it only was resolved when the French Minister of Public Information, <laughs> I don't know what that job title is, no, I but yeah. it's a person. Well done. He had to get involved and issue a decree. <laughs> who who knows what that is yeah. as well and he said that her work should be judged on musical merit alone brilliant and so then rather go against saint saens all these people who were jurors in the second round were like no nah, i'm just going to pass because he's too powerful what a to piss of off a bunch of wussies exactly big girl's so, blouses <laughs> yeah. so they didn't want to make him angry so instead of so the way the voting system worked is that no one came first and she came second what?
0: Yeah. So they just didn't award a but, first place. But if she came second, then she came the highest, so yeah. she was first anyway. So even though she was they the highest winner. Um anyway.
1: Okay. And so this is another reason that I love Nadia Blanchet because she entered again in 1909 Mm because she's like a boss and she's just (laughs) like, I don't care, I'm going to win. And then she didn't even get into the finals. And her little sister, Lily, that same year was like, hey, family meeting, I also want to be a composer and I'm going to (laughs) win the reader Room. And so here's a bit of a story we need to go back to. Basically, Lily had been tagging along at Nadia's classes all this time. Okay. And it turned out was a legit genius. Okay. And because her dad had died, Nadia had to, like, really concentrate on teaching and playing professionally. But Lily basically had, like, free reign to do whatever she wanted. Mm-hmm. And so in 1913, as the youngest competitor by six years, she won the Prida Run. How old was she? 20, young 20s, I wow, think. she really, awesome. Yeah. Mm. So... That must have, like, really hurt Nadia on okay, some level. Yeah. But by that stage, she'd kind of, like, given up. And I also want to say Ooh. that this was a massive deal to have e- the yeah. first woman winner. It was lots of reports say that Nadia, because she was so opinionated and because she'd been, like you know, middle finger to essay yeah. songs. I'm writing a string quartet <laughs> yeah. um, that she actually really upset people. And right. this was a quote written in a musical paper at the tu- in 1913 mm. by a really delightful guy yeah. called Emile Valimose. Okay. Very I French. just made that up. Love I don't that. know if that's right. <laughs> um, several months ago in this column, I warned musicians on the imminence of the pink peril. Events have not hesitated to prove me right. (laughs) Madame Lily Boulanger has just triumphed in the Prix de Rome. The misogyny of the jury was known. The entry of an eve into the earthly paradise of the Villa Medici was dreaded by certain patriarchs as the equal of total catastrophe. Are you joking? Yeah. So that was actually like, he was right. Sorry, as I read that, I realized he didn't think that, but... Pete, that was, what? like, an okay thing to write the in consensus. the paper okay. that people thought yeah. that. Yeah. So the prize was to stay in this villa in Italy for a year. But the year that Lily won, 1913, she gets to go in the next year, World War One broke out. And so she goes for a couple months, and she's not having a great time. She's super homesick, and so she decides to come back to France. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really, really wants to be involved in the war effort. And so Lily and Nadia start this charity, and they're selling food and clothing and encouraging musicians in the tren- mm-hmm. trenches. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Nadia's been taken under the wing of this man called Raul Pugno, great who man. was famously... Old and fat, okay, oh, and wow. a very good pianist. <laughs> what a great thing to be famous um, for! Yeah, That's but wonderful. he really championed her as a conductor and composer, and he premiered several of her works um as a soloist and insisted that she be the conductor. Mm-hmm. And there were a whole lot of rumors going around that they might not be friends. I think he was like forty years older than her. Everyone was. again. I mean, she's <laughs> coming back to that theme. Um, stay in your lane, yeah. old man. For God's <laughs> sake. Um, and so he was a massive champion of ours. But then um, he's on tour and he dies really suddenly. Mm. And then eight months before the end of World War One, Lily dies as well. Oh. So she dies at the age of twenty-four.
0: Oh no. So
1: basically, if this was Spider-Man, yeah. This is when Nadia Boulanger is, is Toby McGuire. Okay. And she pulls on the Spidey suit and w- she's like, I'm no longer Peter Parker. Okay. And with great power comes great responsibility. I've woken up with a six pack. Like, yeah, I can do like, stuff. I'm ready to take on the world. Go, Web, go. And so basically, she abandons all her composition efforts. Okay. And she becomes a teacher and conductor and like an evangelical crusader for her sister's memory Aww. because she thought she was a genius yeah. and could have been one of the best composers of the 20th century if she'd lived wow. and so Nadia just there's nothing written after 1922 or 23 that she wrote wow. and so basically that's The person that we know. (laughs) She traveled to the States. She was super good friends with Stravinsky. Aaron Copeland was one of her first students. And then it became a really frequent thing for Americans as this rite of passage to like finish university and then go and do a season or like as long as they could studying with Nadia Boulanger. And she becomes one of the greatest teachers the world's ever known. She also just was obsessed with her sister's legacy Mm. and saved everything, every letter, every analysis, every piece. Mm. And one of like in her later life they actually changed um her street is now named Place Lily Boulanger so she finally got it named after that she had a uniform she's just a boss I really like her but I think like in honor of her legacy we should hear something by Lily because that's who she thought was the real talent of the family So that's actually the piece that Lily won the Prix de Rome with um, in 1913. It's called Faust et Helene.
0: I think it's gorgeous. It's just so much darker than Nadia's music. There's no similarity. <laughs> like, it's like, absolutely, it's so different. And I really like that. And it's beautiful in a quite spooky like upsetting way. Yeah, it's yeah. lush
1: and romantic and big and scary. I was going to pick this other piece, which I am going to put on the Spotify playlist anyway, because cool. I think it's really stunning and worth a listen. Mm. But it was also piano and violin right. and very similar sound world to what we heard of Nadia's. Mm. So which leads me to my point that Lily died at 24. And when you look at the available recordings that she has, they is so much for Mm. someone who died at such a young age. So I think it's really, really worthwhile exploring her music as much as possible and getting to know it because there's some absolute gems in there.
0: That Classical Podcast. Next! It's Louise Farronk. Now, I'm not going to do any kind of two-choos-and-a-lie or 60 Seconds here because it's going to be quite obvious what the kind of main... Point is when I get there. (laughs) So stay tuned. So, Louise Varonc was born uh, in Paris in 1804 into a really artsy, fartsy bohemian family, grew up surrounded by sculptors, painters, and powerful artistic women. So, that's Mm. a great start in life. Yeah, absolutely. And she was a composer and a performer and eventually a teacher taught by loads of famous dudes, including Johann Nepomuk Hummel, who wrote the really famous trumpet concerto that goes it's the jolliest tune you've ever heard in your life um and basically when she was 15 years old she went and studied at a conservatoire um she married a flute student who was 10 years older than her so not too bad bringing the age difference (laughs) just just down a few the averages are going down and actually in contrast to amy beach whose husband like made her stop doing stuff uh louise and her husband toured the country together because he was a flute student oh. uh so they toured the country together like giving concerts she would play the piano and he'd play the flute and it was super cute so Like power couple they stuff. are they really were uh and he but he eventually was like actually i don't really fancy this louise sorry and opened a music publishing house called Edition Farenque, which was one of france's like foremost music publishers for decades and decades so that's cool but Louise was like, right, I, I actually want to keep performing. So she kept at it, had a baby, came back like Beyonce. And then she was so great that she was appointed to uh, be a professor of piano at the Paris Conservatory, at uh, the Conservatoire. And she was the second woman ever to have that role. And she held it for over 30 years, which is wow. so awesome. But here's the really cool thing, okay? Hold on to your hats. So sadly, but unsurprisingly, she was paid less than oh, her male counterparts. What are you talking about? Um, uh, but she was composing all these absolute bangers and performing, and she, like actually, more importantly, in terms of her job, she was producing all these really talented concert pianists at the conservatoire. And for a decade, she was going to the authorities, campaigning for equal pay. And all these dudes were like, "No, you have a vagina. You cannot have this money." uh and then like the devil, th- you spend <laughs> it <did> on <laughs> um and then there was like one piece in particular which i will talk about shortly which did really really well and the whole world loved it so she went to her boss at the conservatoire and she was like yo i'm literally better than all these dudes i'm like writing bangers i'm producing all these great musicians give me equal pay and then her boss was like yeah you're right okay here you go so she was the first female composer to demand and receive equal pay that's isn't, amazing isn't so that awesome she
1: really does have a lot of similarities with
0: beyonce yeah she she, is, she was like <laughs> yeah basically she's beyonce um who run the world girls uh, so in terms Amen. of what she wrote Uh, At first, she just composed for piano. People loved it. Schumann was like, "Whoa, she is good." Then, in the 1830s, she started writing like chamber ensemble music and orchestral things. And Berlioz listened to her symphonies, and he was like, "Whoa, she is good." Um, But it's her chamber music that, like, we really remember her for today. Can I just interject? Both crazy men, (laughs) both legit
1: crazy men. But they knew a good symphony when they had one. Know a good tune. Come on. But I just did want to point
0: out that she was. She was, Mm. yeah, given credit by two men who Who were legitimately insane. In the sanatorium. Sanitarium? Either. So uh, we're going to talk about the piece that was like the catalyst to her getting, receiving equal pay. Uh, And it was her... which is a real word that I did not know until this week because I thought it stopped at octet. So for our listeners, it's, you know, you've got a solo piece, then a duo, a trio, a quartet, a quintet, a sextet, a septet, an octet, And then this is a nonet, a nonet. And I started reading it as like a nonet. I was like, oh, yes, a nonet. And that's not a thing. Or who is nonet? (laughs) Who is nonet? It's like Amy Beach all over again. So it's a piece of music for nine instruments. And true to form, she wrote it for flute, oboe, clarinet, horn, bassoon, a string trio and a bass. Nine. And it was hugely popular. People loved it. But <laughs> the, apparently that was partly to do with the fact the violinist who played at the premiere was the rather dashing uh, Joseph Joseph Joachim. Have you ever heard of him? Yes, this guy. Right. So he was one of Europe's leading violinists. he's good looking as well. Well, this is my point. So I went on the internet. I went on Google, <laughs> Google Images. I was like, I bet he was like a real, he was a it's list a or he was like a yeah. Paganini or something like that. Yeah. He really was not a looker. I don't understand it. I
1: think it was the talent thing. You know what? It's mm. probably what my friend calls, like, when you have guitar glasses. Like, when yes. someone's really ordinary <laughs> yes. off stage, and then they hold a guitar and
0: all of a sudden They're you're like, like, marry me, marry have my me. babies,
1: we'll be together forever.
0: Or, you know, or, like, acting. Like, Benedict Cumberbatch, like, mm. would not be... Let's not go into it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, so I'm kind of hoping that people liked it because it was good and not just because... Joseph was like quite attractive you know Mm -hmm. um so it's four movements this piece this nonette and we're gonna hear the third which is just a jolly good time it's it's just really playful and really wonderful and uh here it is
1: That is legitimately really good for It aunts. should be
0: called a yes-net.
1: Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> I'm on Too for- far. Just the pizzicato <laughs> at the beginning. And then also the I- idea, like, so, you know, the strings being like yeah and then I just also think sometimes if you thought about hearing that live like Mm -hmm. nine people all great mates Mm. playing it together yeah and
0: it'd just be really joyous really that's what I mean it's a it's a jolly good time (laughs) like it's it put a smile on my face like when I was searching through Mm -hmm. her music so like I I enjoy her her like famous symphony but I I enjoy this more <laughs> do you know yeah, what I mean yeah sometimes I think, you just want to have a good bop because right? she's having fun like she's yeah. having she clearly had fun writing it and like it, you can tell why it was so popular the people playing it loved it but also for an audience if you were sitting in a drawing room in Paris yeah. bored out of your mind like this would be really <laughs> really exciting so yeah I just thought this was a really great example and obviously the piece which like enabled her to, to get the the pay that she deserved and the status she deserved good so on you Louise yeah exactly so um do dig into her back catalogue um there are tons of gems there and uh, enjoy that classical podcast so
1: that was our episode all about some fantastic women in classical music if we didn't talk about your favorite woman today Mm. Do let us know yeah. um, because we want to find out about more that we can talk about in the future. Kelly, how can people let us know?
0: Well, lads and lassies, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram. We are at That Classical Insta. We're on Twitter. We are at That Classical. You can email us at email at gmail.com. Uh, and we're on Facebook as well. Just type that Classical Podcast and we'll come up. And also you can check out our Patreon page for loads of bonus goodies.
1: Excellent. So... Of course, we want more people to discover classical music because we are so passionate about <laughs> it. Yes, and yeah. the best way for you to help other people find us is to go to your podcasting app, whatever you use to download. Give us a five-star review. <laughs> if you want. If you want. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And write lovely things about us. Honestly, it takes 30 seconds, but it makes such a difference to us and mm. we'll be endlessly appreciative. And until next time, bye. See ya. you.